Totally Football Show. Today, prepare to learn the GDP of Togo and more as we round up the biggest deadline day ever and simultaneously review a remarkable set of midweek matches. Lads, it's Man United, Tottenham's Wembley win and what it means. Can anyone save Swansea? Klukas can. Wenger introduces Obamacare for his wounded gunners and ahead of their reunion with Theo Walker on Everton. What will that bring? What about Chelsea losing to Bournemouth? And what about Liverpool Spurs this weekend? Think we're going to need a bigger podcast. It's the Totally Football Show. Joining us today, we've got uh, James Horncastle in. Hey, James. Hello, Adam Hurry. Hello, James. Michael Cox, also here. Hi, James. And introducing Simon Wilson. Hello, Simon. Hi, James. Great to be here. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Simon, that's right. It is the same Simon Wilson, former Chief Football Officer at Sunderland, who, of course, loaned him away from his position as Director of Football Services within the City Football Group, with responsibilities everywhere from Yokohama to New York City. That's right. Well, you must have been quite excited not to be involved in that transfer window yesterday. It was a, it was a nice easy day at home watching it all come in and and kind of um, all the craziness that uh, I know goes on. Your phone stuck to your ear the whole time. It was quite nice to watch it through for the for the first time in a while. Yeah, you're lucky if it's just your phone stuck to your ear on on transfer deadline. <laughs> of, of course, um, we'll, we'll talk much more about transfers later on. But one question that gets repeatedly asked: Why do clubs, Simon? Why do clubs leave it so late? It's not. I'm sure if it was uh, down to the clubs, they'd want to do it earlier. It's not always things that are in their control, and it's situations playing out like we saw the three-way, you know, Dortmund, Arsenal, Chelsea situation. Sometimes you need something, a trigger to make uh, the action move for you. But you know, there must be a part of them that uh, that loves the drama as well and loves to keep to, to, to push it to the last minute. Absolutely, well, it certainly was a dramatic, probably the most dramatic uh, transfer deadline day uh, that we've ever had in terms of numbers. More more money spent. Yes, more than then. 400 million overall in this January transfer window. And I think over 150 million on the Wednesday. Mm. Incredible. All right, well, as I say, transfer talk coming up later on. But let's start, though, with actual football and Wednesday night's 90 minutes of Wembley, which was pretty fantastic. From the opening kickoff, Michael Cox. Yes, it was a fantastic game. Spurs started very strongly. And I think Manchester United actually responded quite well. And I thought the first 30 or 40 minutes was probably the highest quality football game I've seen for quite a while, which maybe isn't saying much because I think over Christmas a lot of teams have been quite poor, players are tired, etc. But it was fantastic and I thought, um, you know, we tend to, to focus on the side that's lost and say, oh, they were dreadful, this is a crisis, blah, blah, blah. But actually I thought Spurs were fantastic. I thought they were really well organised. They pressed really high at the front kept a high defensive line, a little bit like the old school Pochettino Tottenham. I think they've moved away slightly from that, sat deeper, but this time they played very high. The offside line in particular I thought was fantastic. It was their best defensive weapon because Lukaku just kept getting caught offside. And just the whole side looked really well balanced. You know, Dembele as well was was excellent. The best game he's played for Tottenham this season. And yeah, I thought I just thought it was a really great all-round performance. It wasn't just Ericsson being back in the side. They were also just generally Well, that, that was very useful, especially in a game where I think Manchester United allowed the opposition a lot more space than they would usually do away from home at a big club. But yes, Ericsson's return, I think, was was excellent. And not saying that he will, he will you know, be on the one to uh, get left out, but... Spurs had just signed a new right winger, hadn't they? So it was handy for him to play very well. Lucas Moura. Uh, Sean says Spurs have now made Borussia Dortmund, Real Madrid, Liverpool and Man United look ordinary at Wembley. What are the chances they'll do the same to Juventus? (laughs) Well, I think uh, Newport also made Spurs look uh, relatively ordinary (laughs) and the Southampton side (laughs) that uh, of what one one in 16 games did as well. But... uh, yeah, that should be a great game. I think it'll be a different challenge to the one that they had last night. I think Juventus will be um, better organised, certainly at the back, than, and without the ball than, than United were in stages. I know a lot of people were criticising Mourinho for the midfield, which was mm. yeah, pretty much Matic against everybody. And unsurprisingly, Matic had a very difficult game. Well, so um, presumably, Man United will improve when Alexis Sanchez can start for them. <laughs> well, again, what this sad he he did he did, and uh, you wonder how this disrupts things because you know obviously Sanchez made his preference to play on the left clear shortly after signing. He goes out there, Martial, who's had a good few uh, weeks for them, is moved onto the right hand side. That doesn't seem to suit him. He's suffered, and you know you look at again what it means for someone like Marcus Rashford, uh, Rashford, who's I think started only three games since November. Um, so, 
you know, United, it's it's quite a balancing act that Mourinho has got. And I think uh, he did get it wrong last night. I think Pogba can play in a, in a, in a two-man midfield. We have seen that um, with France. Um, but uh, last night, certainly not his best um, uh, from that point of view. So when he plays that way for France, how does it work? Does he have defensive responsibilities? Who plays alongside him? Well, Matuidi often has to uh, go out and play on the right-hand side, which again isn't really uh, comfortable for Matuidi because he prefers to play out on the left. Um, but I think Matic at the moment is not in his best spell of form um, and hasn't been for uh, for some time. And I think... Uh, you know, when you're integrating a new player like Sanchez um, as well, you know, the team maybe doesn't have the kind of understanding. Um, and when you come and come against a, game, uh, a team like Spurs, they are, you are going to get found out if you're you know, sli- slightly you know, not on the same wavelength. And Matic has a, a habit of doing this, of playing really well in the first half of the season and then dropping off massively. He did it in Chelsea's title-winning season in 2014-15, was magnificent before Christmas, then looked really fatigued. And last year, he was pretty much a regular alongside Kante for Chelsea. And then Fabregas came in and took his place towards the end of the season. So he, he's not the most athletic mobile player, Matic. I wonder whether he's just a little bit exhausted. He, he can be got at, I think, about Nemanja Matic. He's, he's, he's not the most mobile player if he's got space to run into like he did earlier in the season when he can sort of gallop along you know 30 yards but when he's got players sort of buzzing around him he he, he hasn't really got the kind of quick skills to get away from them so mm. um in, when he when he gets isolated in a midfield like that then it spells a bit of trouble right and do we see that as well against Arsenal because there were similarities no, with the, the clash against Arsenal the, the big difference being that the lack of the De Gea saves this well, time. That was the crucial point because Spurs had so many shots on goal as Arsenal did and uh, De Gea got them out of trouble at the at the Emirates but this time well, the thing is the impression I got from Spurs was is that they're so well drilled in their plan A probably more so than anyone other than City so when they come up against a team like United who have tweaked things a little bit, maybe either to accommodate new players or try and kind of break Spurs, then um, then Spurs kind of just sort of steamroller them. They've done it to Chelsea, they've done it to Arsenal. And uh, yeah, I think Spurs, Pochettino has got them playing that way. And sometimes it doesn't work, but when, when a team are trying to react against it, it doesn't work. Duncan Butcher pointed out that Pochettino has done this to Mourinho before when Mourinho was in charge of Chelsea, a 5-3 win, mm. uh, which he says broke Mourinho's positivity which, of course, Jose is known for. What I was uh, say. <laughs> Jose, Jose then declined to a sacking. Is this the redux? They just signed it's a new a deal. Sh- <laughs> right. Big shout that, isn't it? Other talking points from what was a fantastically entertaining match, if you weren't a Man United fan, included Marouane Fellini's cameo role, which we can now confirm was because of his knee ligaments. Yes? Yes. Um, at the time, you kind of suspected that must be the case because I, I would have been amazed if Mourinho had... I mean, Mourinho has done this with players before, but not after seven minutes. Yes, mm. exactly. So um, seven minutes would have been uh, particularly cruel for a, for a Mourinho man management. It looked at the time, it could like be the ultimate indignity. That is a player, you know, a sub coming off as a sub. But yeah, he went straight down the tunnel, which is right. usually which is concerning. the clue. Well, it's usually a clue that he's just got an injury. Well, unless he was just upset because of the end. He didn't kick anything on the way down the tunnel, that's usually... But I think all four United midfielders will have come away from that game feeling slightly depressed. Matic because he didn't play well. Mm. Pogba because he got hauled off. Fellaini because he lasted seven minutes. And Herrera, who I would have had down as a a surefire starter in a game like this, was third choice for that midfield slot. It was... uh, very strange selection for Mourinho, I thought. Yeah, but the kind of selection that people have been complaining about him not making in the past. So in that sense, we should applaud the fact that he took a more open approach to the game. Yeah. I mean, but the reason he he doesn't play this way is because I'm not sure his side is suited to it. Right. It really exposed some of the players at the back. I mean, Ashley Young, who I think has had a good season, had a really difficult game. Jones just couldn't live with Kane and scored that quite incredible own goal. It, it was... Again, I thought Tottenham were fantastic, but it was, in the second half in particular, quite shambolic from United. Mm. Spurs, anyway, bolstered by this fabulous performance, moved to within two points of Liverpool and Chelsea in the race uh, for a top-four finish. Liverpool, who, of course, they will be visiting this Sunday in another exciting round of Premier League matches, matches which we'll be discussing uh, shortly, because next up, we'll do the transfer talk. Arsenal host Everton in the late kickoff on Saturday, debut for Aubameyang probably, and the return of Theo Walcott. You may remember a couple of years ago, Everton led the Gunners 2-0 at half-time before Aaron Ramsey and Olivier Giroud bagged a couple of late goals and the game finished all square. 
Well, with two up from Paddy Power, you can back any team in the Premier League or La Liga to win, and if they go two goals up, Paddy will pay out immediately as a winner, even if that team ends up losing. Head to paddypower.com to find out more. T's and C's apply. Win, draw, win, singles only. Exclude shop and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. Be gamblerware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Let's look at some numbers. Premier League clubs deadline day spending was a record 150 million, which takes their overall outlay to the month to, as James Horncast mentioned some time ago, 430 million. To put that in perspective, the Liga, even with uh, that uh, shelling out whatever it was for Coutinho, spent a total of 250 million. Bundesliga only managed 65 million. City A, 20 million in January. Premier League clubs, 430 million, which is more. Actually, it's more than all of those put together, isn't it? The League of mm. their own, in that sense. Yeah, very much so. Um, City, the biggest spenders, $418 million they've spent since manager Pep Guardiola arrived in summer 2016, which is more than the GDP of Togo. Just to put things into... This is some... why Togo don't challenge. This is why <laughs> Togo don't challenge at the top of the league. Right there, that's your answer. We look at the wage structures. Uh, some of the chief moves... Well, the biggest deal was that... That exciting kind of three-way mm. roundabout thing. Aubameyang to Arsenal for wages that are less than half what Sanchez wanted to stay. That's interesting. Fred Easy says someone needs to compose a Aubameyang chant to Ram Jam's Black Betty. Oh. Yeah, OK. <laughs> um, also on the Arsenal front, Ozil, perhaps spurred by Aubameyang's arrival, signing a new deal for much money. The yeah. turnover of players at Arsenal in oh, the yeah. last two windows is pretty staggering. They've lost Chesney, Gibbs, Gabriel, Sonogo, <laughs> Oxlade-Chamberlain, Coquelin, Alexis, Walcott, Giroud, Debussy, Akbar. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of players they, in two windows. They actually sold 293 goals this window. Really? Yeah. Walcott, Giroud... And uh, Sanchez, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 293 goals and, and, and 65 goals from last season. Wow. Um, I, I, it's an interesting way of looking at it, Adam. I wonder if you know how many goals from last season they bought. <laughs> Come prepared, Adam. I, I was <laughs> so <laughs> happy yeah, with that stat. No, it's and a great reduced me to rubble. <laughs> no, no, it, it just begs the question. I'm you not, know, yeah, I'm not saying they haven't uh, brought in goals. and roundabouts. Yeah. Well, they have. Banchawai, meanwhile, taking Aubameyang's place at Dortmund on loan while joining Chelsea in Batshuayi's place is Olivier Giroud, which you called last week. So. Yes, thank you for remembering that. <laughs> yeah. It was before the rumours, I should add, when yeah. we were talking about them going for Crouch and Carroll. I said, why not go for Giroud? Right. And they did. How excited should Chelsea fans be, Adam? Well, well, first thing you look at is the fee, which is actually quite reasonable. Very reasonable. 15.3 million. Is that all? That's the initial fee with a couple of vague add-ons. I wonder what they might be. But um, but yeah, 15.3 million for a 31-year-old goal-getter in the Premier League. Proven mm. one. Um, it's not bad. Um, yeah, uh, well, yeah, you might say so. Um, but yeah, compared to some of the strikers um, that they were linked with, um, I, I don't know how seriously we were supposed to have taken that looking back but um it's it's a it's a sound signing uh, he's only been, he's only got an 18 month contract so it, he's not going to weigh them down for too long so um yeah 15.3 million go for it see what he does Excellent. and he's eligible for the champions league as well he is eligible for the champions apparently league apparently so yeah. okay uh that Aubameyang business on the final day kind of overshadowing almost the incredible sanchez mikatarian swap what, what do you think looking back someone will be the most uh, significant a move of this January window? That's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> and while you're pondering that, how easy is it to engineer a straight player swap? It's all about the value on both sides, isn't mm. it? It's about what, what, what people perceive their need to be. And, and obviously deals happen when there's a win-win all the way, way through. And obviously when you see that in the, in, in the three-way um, uh, deal that we've been talking about, it wasn't going to happen unless Dortmund got their replacement and, and uh, uh, otherwise the whole thing would, would never have been able to happen. So it's always going to be a level of compromise and where you do see that there's a need from both sides, you can, do, you can obviously get those, those players swap type deals to happen the Sanchez and Mkhitaryan and, and, and someone was just fascinating in terms of the way it came on late and you know obviously the volume of the money that uh, United have invested um, was obviously the big talking points but um, you know I think in, in, in all of these situations in the player swap with, with Mkhitaryan and, and, and Sanchez as well as Giroud and etc I think actually all clubs will be happy with, with, with the outcome. Well, agents probably will be as well we're having a big <coughs> chat on Monday about their level of involvement 
echoing a lot of people questioning whether it's spiralling out of control and how much the kind of affiliations, the alliances between clubs and particular agents and their coterie of players defines which talents that clubs actually go for. Whereas a lot of people would imagine that clubs just look at all the players out there on the market and pick the best ones that are suited to them. A lot of times they're going to kind of a stable of players represented by one man. Yeah, I think that um, it would be easy to look at that um, with a particular pair of glasses on. I think that um, clubs... Actually, you can talk about as many transfers as, as you like, but if unless they're feasible and they're actionable, then 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 they're not realistic. And so you do need somebody to help to get things done. And I think that uh, you know, particularly in Sanchez's situation, his agent had to play that situation as with the player's age, his marketability at this particular type. And he had had to play it the way he did. And yeah. I think that's uh, you know he's, he's done well for for his player. After Man City, you went to Sunderland. Mm. Is a club like Sunderland especially reliant? on agents to facilitate moves because they just don't have the shopping in the area. Well, I think it's um <laughs> I think I think it's a bit of cause and effect. You know, obviously I think that um the 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 stronger your background research is and the and the and the more options and the more intelligence that you can gather in the back end, it can uh it can mean that you are less reliant on agents. Um I think Sunderland as a club and clubs in their types of situation without generalizing too much do become agent led because uh Agents have got a vehicle to sell in um, to to those clubs. They end up being quite desperate in terms of needing to get better yeah. uh, quickly. Um, but the more intelligence and background, you look at clubs like Southampton, and it's a it's a well trodden example. But do do their uh, do do their work uh, well. Uh, are ready early and they put themselves in a little bit more proactive situation when they're approaching a window. Okay, loads of deals went through. Some really fascinating moves. From De Lafeo joining Watford, Daniel Sturridge, West Brom, Lucas Moura mentioned, and we'll talk more about that a bit, bit later on. Emerson arriving at Chelsea. Who won the transfer winner? That's the question. I honestly do not know. Okay. Given the, the circuitous do. nature, I'm sure you do. And so given the circuitous <laughs> nature of some of the deals that went on, I really don't know who came out best of it. I mean, I don't think Chelsea would be too unhappy. I don't think it's been a spectacular window for Chelsea them. Chelsea won't be, but I think Conte might be. Well, wow. Conte's, that's, that's all he's got left is his unhappiness now, which he trots out at every press conference now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, what do you think, James? Big winners? Well, you know what? I actually have been quite impressed by what Newcastle have managed to oh. scrape together, and maybe I'm influenced by that one game Kennedy put in for them uh, last night, uh, where he Which was one-one draw with uh, Burnley. Yeah, and he was at the heart of everything that they did really well. But they've also got Schlimani in, who, yeah, okay, over the last what eighteen months at Leicester, haven't hasn't really pulled up trees, but not too long ago was scoring what twenty-seven goals. In, uh, right in Portugal. Yeah. And, you know, I think he's, he, whatever they get from him, he'll be an upgrade on Hosselu, who we, <laughs> we saw miss that penalty last night. Right, those so. Slimani numbers. 48 goals in 82 appearances for Sporting. Kennedy, meanwhile, who prepared for his move to St. James's Park by watching the goal yeah. movies. <laughs> have you ever reviewed that film? I've never James? seen the goal movies. No, I don't think you're missing right. out. Yeah. Uh, Simon, have you got a, a transfer window winner? I'm sorry, I haven't got a winner. I'm interested in a lot of stuff that happens and the trends that you see. I mean, I think that um, um, you know Tottenham, I, I, I really be really impressed in, with with their business around Moore. I think you're talking about a player that's uh, not incredibly different to Coutinho, but an incredibly different price. Luke, Lucas Moura? Yes. All oh, right. Yes, in terms of his impact to the team, um, his age, his profile, I think he's somebody that could be really, really impressive and useful for Tottenham. Right. Why do you think more clubs weren't in for him then? Was it because he's been Pretty much sidelined at PSG. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Of course, I think that's the that's the that's the biggest factor in in this. But uh, in Tottenham again, it's those clubs that are very very specific about what they want and define their profile very tightly. And then once you do that, you eliminate a lot of players. But Mura would have was stepped into what their profile is, mm. and and I think that's an excellent deal. Okay, I was going to suggest possibly as the big winners the transfer window, Adam Borussia Dortmund. Oh, um, Yeah, I mean, well, just the money they've got for a player who effectively they knew they were going to, yeah, no, yeah, have um, to do with that. Yeah. And this follows on Usman Dembele leaving for an absolutely insane amount of money mm. earlier in the season. Mm. I mean, they just do this so well, don't they? Well, mm-hmm. the thing is, with Aubameyang, he agitated for the move. Yeah. He, he'd been linked with the move, if that means anything, for a long, long time, and he was. 28, almost 29. And uh, so it was it was perfect time for him to leave. They did get good money for him and they've got an instant replacement for him in the, in the form of Batshuayi, who I don't really... I mean, he, he his goals per minute record is decent for Chelsea, but I don't mm. think he's been that impressive for them. I, I, you don't watch him play and you think, well, he's you know he's a top class. He doesn't score. His goals aren't particularly eye-catching. He, so I think he, he could do personally... Also the Morattas? 
Uh, Morata's Morata's his goals are tidier, definitely. Okay. Yeah, he, there's a lot of movement that goes involved. Batshuayi is you know sna- snatching on half chances against sort of lower league opposition isn't an impressive output for me. But going to Dortmund for for the rest of the season, maybe maybe again next season, um, I do him some good. He's still only 23, and um, yeah. So yeah, Dortmund have well, they've made a lot of money and they've got a, what they need. So happy Bingo. days for them. So okay, who's who's been the big loser then? Can we ask that of the transfer window? A lot of people saying, and here's Jay Douglas uh, suggesting West Ham. Can someone explain West Ham's transfer policy to me? <laughs> Small squad, injury problems, youth players out on loan. Sacco and Ayu sold. Andre Ayu joining his brother uh, Jordan down in, at, at Swansea. Mm. New clubs on the list that won't do business with us and are oh, he, an, an allegedly racist director of transfers. <laughs> and they picked up, uh, how do you say this, Hugill? Is it from Hugill, Pre- is it? Hugill. From, That's what I'm going with. From Preston North End. T- uh, £10 million? Pounds, is it? that right? I think so, yeah. Okay. And um, he's firmly filed under bustling in the striker oh, category and that's yeah. apparently what they were after and um, I, I, you, you, perhaps it's like a Moyes connection with Preston North End I don't know but mm. um, it, that seems like a very strange one his 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 rise from non-league is perhaps a little bit too stratospheric um, for him to uh, succeed at West Ham straight away but right. uh, he's uh, Simon you work with David Moyes at Sunderland how concerned where of course also they had a a difficult squad, not the squad perhaps that he would have liked to to, to employ in his, his attempt to beat relegation. Can you make sense of West Ham's transfer policy? When you compare where they are now compared to what they did in the summer, I think in some ways they're paying the price for going older um, in terms of some of their recruits in the in the, in the summer. Um, and without having sort of that natural succession plan that's, that allows you to get through some of these situations, um, it's very easy to, to look from the outside as I am at the moment and uh, look in. And I know that the problems that these people are facing trying to get things cleaned up and, 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 and straight. Well, that's the transfer window. I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a different lexicon as, as well, isn't it, Adam? Oh, yes. yeah. Well, do you have a favourite? I mean, your, your book, Football Clichés, is a fabulous read. Thank you. Uh, and funny and informative, I found. Yes, and with that was pictures. the aim. Very much the aim. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favourite transfer bit of jargon? Uh, I do like I do like a transfer war chest. War chest. Um, <laughs> just because it just has a nice, you know, antiquated feel to mm. it. Um, but it, in terms of the kind of the verbs and the processes by which clubs sign players, you have a swoop. Yeah. Swoop is um, to get technical. Swoop yep. is it's an important word. It's um, it's when a big club, you know goes to a smaller club and takes one of their better players. That's and it has swoop. to be quite a, a fast operation as well. Yeah, that it implies a, a swiftness of transaction. Just um, picked up the phone. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's a much more, um, has much more decorum than, say, a raid, Oh, which is, uh, again, very specific event. This is where a manager goes back to his former club right. and uh, takes the players he knows were good and yeah. they, they're powerless to stop him. And it's usually multiple players as well. Like, you right. know, you wouldn't just take one player in a raid, you take as much as you can. So yeah, yeah. Is it, so there are important yeah they're impo- <laughs> exactly they're very important words and they have a very important function. Uh, one last question on the transfer window: Do they still use fax machines or not, Simon? <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, no. Listeners, we're proud to have teamed up with Mind to tell you about their latest campaign to raise awareness about mental health and get kids reading. The acclaimed children's author Johnny Zucker took his own life just over a year ago. He was a father to three young boys aged 10 to 16 and he'd been living with depression for two decades. A special edition of his most popular book, Striker Boy, has just been released with all of the proceeds going to Johnny's family and the mental health charity Mind. Depression doesn't care who you are, how much you earn or how good you are at your job. It can strike any one of you listening to this podcast and the effects can be devastating. The leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide and that is something that has to stop. Find out more at strikerboy.com and if you need to talk to someone, contact Mind on 0300 123 3393 or visit mind.org.uk. Back to the show. Swansea Arsenal, the Carvalhal comeback continues. How are they doing? This, this, this is a 3-1 come-from-behind win against Arsenal, which happened on Tuesday and has a little bit been obscured by some of the craziness that went on on Wednesday. But... Once again, coming from behind in five matches under Carvalhal, they've gained six points from losing positions. And that's now one defeat in eight matches for the Portuguese manager since he took over down there at the Liberty Stadium. Patrick O'Rourke voicing a question asked by many. How has he made this team play so well? They look certain for relegation when he arrived. 
Well, from looking at them, it seems like they've worked a lot on, on counter-attacking. Mm. I mean, as I've said previously, they did have a good defence under Clement. They didn't really seem to have much attacking strategy, and I think Clement was maybe basing them around holding the ball for long periods in the centre of the pitch, which they've done for the last six or seven years, probably longer than that. But now they seem just determined to counter-attack. So they've got the best out of Jordan Ayew, who I must admit was a player I was never convinced by, but has been excellent the last few games, played very well against Arsenal. And Sam Klukas, who I must admit, whenever he was at Hull, I struggled to really work out what he excelled at, was outstanding against Arsenal. The combination of his energy, but also the intelligence of runs he made. Mm. So they seem very good at counter-attacking, particularly into wide areas. Sam um, Klukas, his three goals for Swansea in the Premier League since moving from Hull, have all come against Arsenal. And bizarrely, his only shots on target have as well. <laughs> yeah, some kind of conspiracy there. There's also another great stat about Sam Klukas is that... Um, he once scored in five consecutive seasons in five divisions, going up from the conference to League Two to no League One way. to the Championship to the Premier League, which uh, is an incredible rise. And he's also interesting because he uh, spent time at the Glen Hoddle Academy in Spain. You know, Hoddle oh, went over there and yeah. took all these players that had been released from football league clubs. Um, and he's been by far the the success story. I mean, went for, was it £15 million? I think he went mm. to Swansea for a lot of money. Um, so to see him you know, thriving at the top level is uh, something that yeah. will please Hoddle, I guess. Swansea uh, on Tuesday night moved out of the bottom three briefly, but they're, they're back in it, albeit one point from safety and looking like a team transformed. Arsenal, who have conceded more from winning positions than any other Premier League team with the exception of Watford, mm. are now eight points from the top four. Now, obviously, it's going to be a different-looking Arsenal side that uh, takes the field you might suspect this weekend when they take on Everton and their old friend Theo Walcott, who scored two goals in their thrilling 2-1 win over Leicester. But still an Arsenal team with all, all sorts of problems. I mean, Arsene Wenger, his comments afterwards, the second and the third goal uh, sums up the lack of focus of our defenders. He looked absolutely disgusted. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal were, were really bad, especially at the back. I thought the most disappointing player was not Czech, who... He did make that big error, but I thought Mustafi is some of his defending. He seems intent on... He, he can't hold his position, Mustafi. He feels like he has to win every ball as quickly as possible and just seems to make errors and, and leave his defence exposed. And while Monreal scored, I think, his fourth goal in five yeah. games, yeah. he was also, from what I could tell, targeted by Swansea. As, as, you know, this is very much the open door into, towards Czech's goal. Well, I mean, you could say that, um, yeah, the howler by Czech really starts with Monreal and that right. throw-in because it was just so casual and it seemed to be the trigger for Swansea to start their press which I mean Czech should always be making that pass out but you know I just thought it was bad to, uh, bad, very casual bad decision making also from him on the third goal as well and you know you look at Arsenal where they've invested their money in this window you know in Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan they're a team that has let in as many goals as the bottom club in the Premier League West right. Brom um, They've sold a lot of goals though, as well. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. well, Swansea this weekend are going to be at Leicester. They now boast Andre Ayew in their ranks, which is big. Also, Andy King arriving from Leicester. You look surprised at that, did the, you? Not? No, no, I was just. Yeah, no, that, that, I mean, that's that's good. Handy good player, player. Yeah. Welshman. But uh, that's to me that seems the last thing that Swansea need. They've got plenty of central midfielders. Oh. Uh, I mean, I think the signing of Ayu to play alongside his brother is uh, exciting. Good to right. see them together. Obviously, they play with some distinction together for the for uh, Ghana. But uh, yeah, I can't really see what King brings. They've got loads of. They've always had loads of good central midfielders. They brought in Sanchez. Sanchez wasn't playing. You know, I, I can't really see the point in Andy King as good a player as he is personally. I think right. there's with Swansea talking about the challenges of the window. Carver Howe was talking about this yesterday. They were in for a lot of players, but players didn't want to come because they look at the position that Swansea are in and, and didn't fancy it. So, yeah, that's that's one of the problems that teams face when they're trying to get out of trouble and using this market to mm. to help them do it. Well, they've added some king power and they're going to be playing at the king power <laughs> tick uh, this weekend. One defeat, as I mentioned, in a Arsenal, meanwhile... Are they at Everton or hosting Everton? They're hosting Everton. They're hosting Everton, who beat Leicester with actual shots... <laughs> and that, and an actual brace from Theo Walcott, who has now, this from Duncan Alexander, scored or assisted 11% of Everton's Premier League goals this season. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? Astonishing. So how is Wenger going to line them up? Are we going to see the magic quartet, the, the Ozil, Lacazette, Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan? <laughs> 
no, I don't think we will to start with. For Ooh. a start, because he hasn't been using a system that features four attackers. What system could you construct out of that Arsenal squad that would allow well, them to do I that? I think this is the question, and I think you would struggle. I mean, theoretically, you could play them in a 4-2-3-1, but one of the... The forwards Lacazette or Aubameyang would have to play wide, which they did earlier in their career. But mm. since being converted to an outright centre forward, I don't think we'll want to move back. I think the key thing here is Lacazette scored one goal in his last 11 games. Cool. So, I mean, I, I think he's just obviously the one to drop out for, for the time being. I'm not not saying he will not regain his place, but I'm, I'm slightly surprised people aren't considering that as the obvious option. He looks really out of sorts at the moment and could probably deal with a break. OK, fair enough. And Mkhitaryan and Ozil, that does work. Yeah, I think those two. I mean, Arsenal have been playing 4-3-3 recently. I think they'll probably play wide. If they switch to the the uh, back three, they can still play those kind of drifting in roles. So I don't think that's too much of an issue. Although I would question how many goals those two will, will provide. I, I think of them both as sisters rather than goal scorers. Right. Do you Which... think Monreal should be basically playing behind uh, like, uh, behind <laughs> or, a or in front. Yeah. Yeah, possibly so. I mean, if it does work, it could be absolutely sensational because there's some great service there and a great finisher in Aubameyang. Well, the thing about Arsenal, I mean, almost regardless of who they pick against Everton, they they do seem to have this habit of bouncing back from their humiliations, uh, you know, as if nothing had happened. So um, I, I expect they'll I, they'll probably just put three past Everton and, and carry on like, like normal. Well, it's a, it's an Everton side that themselves have... Uh bounced back nicely with that win over Leicester. I mean, the problem with Arsenal uh, mm. getting completely changing their squad halfway through the season is that Wenger's not a manager who particularly works in specific situations with his players on the training ground. He likes basically throwing things together, getting natural harmony, letting players work things out. And Arsenal have often started seasons really slowly because they've done their business late. They've got a player in three games into the season and it takes until October or November before they start playing. So you wonder whether them completely changing the attacking section of the side is going to you know, we're going to have to wait six or seven weeks before they play well and then they'll probably go on their usual great run of form in March and heroically miss out on the Champions League places. But I think they've probably upgraded in terms of their squad, but once you factor in the the lack of cohesion, I'm not sure they're in a better place than they were a week ago. All right. OK. Everton are, though, because they've got Seamus Coleman back and they brought in Mangala as well. What do you think about that, Simon? It's a good fit for uh, an Allardyce side, I think. And um, did you work with Big Sam at Sunderland? Was he there in your spell? No, okay. I, I came just after. But he le- he left a lot of good things there, and uh, he, you know he really does build. He builds a club as well as build a, builds a team. Has a real methodology about the way he works. But yeah, I think Mangala's a good signing for them. Okay. Do you, do you have any thought on why, after a good start, things slumped so badly for him until this last result? There was there was some talk about how uh, Everton started to pick up just before he arrived, and Sam usually comes into a situation that are, that are losing and, and 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 builds momentum around that. So I think that um, you know, and it's natural that the, a club's going to uh, you know uh, a club that's not quite found its feet, if you like, it's going to there's going to be variance in terms of the way that they play. So there's going to be ups and downs and so forth. So I don't think you know we're used to Sam coming in and you know the curve slowly moving up over a period of time because he's starting at a low base. But right. if you think about Palace. Uh, uh, last year it took a while it does sometimes take a while for him to, to to generate that effect and so forth so he came into a team that slightly slightly doing better they obviously had their took natural him down again. took him down again and then it would pick him up again yeah. got a bit of run up <laughs> nice one all right well yeah they're, 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 i think they're looking good and theo walcott's gonna be fired up for that that match but you mentioned coleman yeah they both line up on the same side and all yeah. of a sudden they've got a lot of kind of dynamism um, which big uh, sam was highlighting afterwards mm, yeah all the players played well but particularly excited by that which is great because uh, only well, not long ago he was talking about how they needed to be more boring. Yeah, that's not boring. No, and they'll oh. be down Monreal's side, won't they? When they play, so hey, are you calling some kind of Everton upset at, yeah. uh, at the Emirates? Yeah, why not? Good for you, James Horncastle. Okay, Graham asks: Is Giroud the first player to watch his team concede three goals in two days in a row? Because of course, <laughs> Arsenal got beaten three-one at the Liberty, and then he was in the stands at Stamford Bridge to see Bournemouth in the other shock winning at the bridge by a 3-0 scoreline. Perhaps we should have had him on here, uh, observing about these, these games midweek. Well, he wasn't busy, so, uh, mm. yeah, sadly. Uh, Bournemouth have done this before in their first season up, but as Eddie Howe was pointing out, that time they kind of rode their luck, but there was nothing lucky about this Cherries victory. Hey, Adam? Um, they played well. Chelsea were bad, yes. even though they had a lot of the ball. Chelsea had a lot of the ball, but it, it was, um, you know, to coin the phrase from 
uh, Van Hals era at United, sterile domination. They just oh. it, it was the sort of performance that usually leads to a voicemail being left for Goose Hiddink. Um, <laughs> it was it was really stodgy, and and uh, and the thrashing, the first half thrashing of Brighton recently apart. This is how they've been playing in January. Right, it's um, everything goes through Hazard. Everything, even when he's not in a particularly good position to receive the ball, because they know he's game. He's going to turn. He's going to try and turn. He's going to try and dribble with it, no matter where he gets the ball, because he's always up for it. Uh-huh. And but it's got to the point where it's, it's almost comical. Where they try and find him, and everything. Goes, William was injured last night, so they didn't really have that outlet to run with the ball. And um, and Fabregas, uh, Barkley started, and, uh-huh. and he he was hooked before the hour for Fabregas. Oh dear. Who came on, looked up, and realised he had no one up up there to pass to because um, it was there was no strikers. Mm. And Conte's wing-backs, which served him so well last season, completely ground to a halt. I mean, Alonso will score the odd, lovely free kick, but he's a very limited player um, when it comes to covering ground and opening up defences. Um, Moses didn't play last night, but he's he's literally ground to a halt. When he gets the ball, he just stops. And then, um, so Zappacosta's probably the better option. Mm-hmm. But, um, but his first thought is to swing across in and again there's nobody there nobody there and of course Christensen went out again third match in a row he hasn't yeah, managed to yeah. so David and that's going to be he's going to be out for a while I believe is that right so David Luiz is the, it didn't look that serious I don't think there was any talk after that it was too long um, but as you say it was a slightly slight concern for him because this is his most demanding season he's played he's, and he's not finished the last three games so yeah. it might be a recall for David Luiz yeah. David Luiz right there was well, something worryingly arsenal about Chelsea last night because it, as I said they had a lot of the ball but then Bournemouth sprung forward three times and mm-hmm. scored I think we should give Bournemouth some credit here Go as on, well then, Michael. well they went away to Stamford Bridge mm-hmm. and they matched Chelsea they played 3-4-3 three, three. they pressed three against three high up the pitch they'd had ten days rest um, which was obviously good for fitness reasons but probably also for tactical reasons imagine they would have been working on that every day in the training ground and I was just really impressed with how bold they were the, the front three of Stanislas Wilson and Jordan Ibe combined really well particularly mm. pleased to see Jordan Ibe um, performing in recent weeks because he's had he's had a difficult time really like, at Bournemouth James is struggling not to sing <laughs> quick keep going Michael um, and, and also just Bournemouth are in good form they've now They've now won three and drawn two of their last five and suddenly find themselves in the top half of the table, which is incredible because, I mean, it's just so tight down there, but they were kind of teetering on the brink of the relegation zone, it seems, a couple of games ago. So that's a huge win. That's a huge win. I mean, and it's so tight. You see Huddersfield are now one point above the drop zone, having lost four in a row. It's just so tight down there. They're hosting Stoke this weekend. Stoke, who are... Oh, they're also down there, just one point above the drop. After their nil-nil draw with... Watford, Watford, which is who Chelsea are going to be visiting this Monday. Will Drew start there, do you think? It was 4-2 for Chelsea at the bridge. Two of those goals, though, they've now sold that batch or loaned. They've loaned two of those goals. Yeah, very good. You're cottoning onto this. It's batch away. This is how it works. That's how it works. Uh, I, think, I think Giroud will start. Giroud yeah, will start. Yeah, Morata's been struggling with this back injury and uh, Giroud's clearly ready to go. Right. Um, his his job in the team isn't particularly sophisticated. It's up there to be the target for those crosses. Right. And um, he loves it. So, yeah. And okay. I'll tell you what, if there's... I mean, what Conte likes when he plays the front two is really quick one-twos. Yes. If there's a wall-pass combination I could create, it's Hazard playing it into Giroud, Ooh. knocking it back for Hazard. Because Hazard's so good at those little passes and his acceleration is incredible. And Giroud, with his back to goal, I think is the best forward in that mode in the Premier League. Wow. I'm so quite excited if, for that. Actually, I think Giroud Chelsea is good. Yeah. And as I was just going to say, if, if Antonio Conte is overachieving now with this squad that he's got, <laughs> how good are they going to be... <laughs> Once he brings Giroud into the mix. So when you look at what's going on there, and, and especially Conte's remarks, continually talking about the lack of transfer activity, responding to a 3-0 defeat by talking about how what a great job he himself is doing, it's tempting to, to think we're in that classic Chelsea endgame, that second half of the season where they've won something probably the year before, the manager's dis- dissatisfied for whatever reason, the players all know he's leaving and they've taken the rest of the season off. Yeah, it's got a it's got a, a sort of a stale feel around it, hasn't it? And I think it's all worrying when when you know managers you know managers can talk about themselves and their own personal challenge for different reasons. You, you know, Mourinho does it really well to take pressure off the conversation around anything else apart from himself and so on. But yeah, I think um, there isn't a great deal of what you would call positivity, is there, around the place at the moment? And um, and 
yes, it's going to be interesting to see how this how this plays out towards the back end of the year. Is Conte right to complain about the the, the way that transfers are operated there at Chelsea? Is it is it a broken model? Well, I think Emanello was a really in, important figure in their setup. Um, Chelsea's operation, you know, interesting. I look at the net spends of the of the teams over the last three years, and when you compare, obviously City and United are way out there, but Chelsea's is, was much lower then. I realised that you know having, having looked at it, and you know they they. they clearly taken a tougher stance on spending the big money around players and for a manager that wants to win as as much as, as someone like Antonio Conte would do, you need that kind of broker that sits in the middle to understand where the coach is coming from but also understand where the club's coming from mm. and, and kind of mitigate that, that round and Yes, uh, I think uh, Michael Emile, I'm not sure you know how, how many people recognise the role he played but it was a key role I think Tweet us at the Totally Football Show and find us on Facebook. Also at the Totally Football Show. Hello, listeners in Ireland or with access to the Irish capital, Dublin. Tickets are going fast for Totally Football, Totally Live in Dublin. The date of which is Monday, March the nineteenth. The venue is Vicar Street, and the lineup: James Horncastle, Julian Laurent, and DJ Pat Nevin. You can get your tickets and more info as if you needed any, at ticketmaster.ie. Oh, meanwhile, on our Facebook page, Michael, you're going to be talking about tactics. Yep. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> Find out more at our Facebook page, which I would heartily recommend you to follow, A, because we like it when the numbers creep up, but also because uh, we're going to be doing a Facebook Live weekly quiz there, I think on middays on Fridays. How's it going to work? I'm not sure, but Friday's <laughs> midday or something like that, we're going to be doing a weekly Facebook Live quiz. So get yourself over there for more details. SJ writes in, <clears throat> I hope I got this contribution in in time, says SJ. Scandinavian English puns, the best one, this relates to our conversation about middle fart uh, last week. He says the best one, and we discussed the fact that fart, whilst vaguely humorous in English, actually refers to speed. It, intriguingly, the word smell in Danish means crash. And thus it was that rally driver Petter Solberg said, it's not the fart that kills you, but the smell. I, it's not the speed, but the crash. It's brilliant. Mm. I think he knew what he was doing there. Miami. David Beckham's Miami franchise has got the green light. More when we know more. We've also been contacted, speaking of all things North American, by a team in Canada who play in the British Columbian Men's League who would like us to sponsor them. Hello to you, team. Turkish news, he said, moving on quickly. <laughs> uh, did we all see Jurensen Spore's Dodo penalty miss? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did you see that, Simon? I did, yes. Worst penalty of all time? It was the uh, most radical approach I think I've seen uh, to a penalty. Well, he of kind all of zazard the approach, didn't he? Mm. But I don't know what I'd call his actual. I couldn't even call it a shot, more of a sort of stroke or a nudge, a suggestion. Can't even work out how he got it that wrong, to be honest. He, mm. um, he concentrated so much on his run-up mm. and where the keeper was that right. he actually fell backwards. He lost his balance ah, and therefore couldn't Okazaki get any purchase style. on the ball. And uh, the angle from behind, well, just to the left of the post, just shows how far wide it went and how miserably it travelled as Did well. Did he go for a throw-in? No. Oh. It nearly didn't go out of play. Yeah. <laughs> it was like when a toddler hits a full-size ball. Yeah. Was, or yeah. Diana Ross. And yes. Yeah. The, um, the, the Turkish commentator, someone uh, kindly translated it for me, and the commentator simply said, what kind of penalty was that? Yeah, that's very much the question. Mm. Uh, that was against Fenerbahce in the Turkish Cup. In French news, there was a terrific French Cup game between PSG and Rennes, which featured Rennes getting uh, rather unjustly having a goal taken off them uh, but PSG scored three. Oh, it was 3-2 in the end I, must admit, I didn't watch this but I did see the bit where Neymar basically controls the ball off his back did you see that one? no I did see another Neymar incident which went very ah, tell us about the other one then well he pretends to pick an opponent up when he's on the floor but then takes his hand away at the last minute <laughs> and then laughs about it and then has a good laugh about it which I thought was quite funny but people seem to be saying this is a disgraceful representation of the arrogance of this overpaid is right. about a spitting <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it probably is worse isn't yeah. It? Yeah. the uh, the other Neymar news was the fact that he's he had an outspoken reaction to Lucas Moura's departure from PSG he said that he thought, what did he say? It was a tremendous shame that he was really sad that he's leaving. He shouldn't have left. Hmm. 
fellow Brazilian, of course. And I, I guess if you're looking to construct a Neymar is getting itchy feet in Paris narrative, that could be part of all of that. As for Italy, you can find out everything you need to know or a bit of it anyway, in our Golazzo show, which we did yesterday. We talk about Gigi Buffon turning 40, returning to the team on Tuesday and saving everything that Atalanta could throw at him, including a penalty from Papu Gomez. Anyway, that's in uh, Golazzo. This weekend, the big clash is a top v bottom one. Saturday, as Benevento, the Witches of the South, best name in football, host Napoli, the City Hour leaders. Oh, are you suggesting it's not the best name in, in football? No, I was, I was merely licking my lips at the prospect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is yeah. it the best name in football, Adam? There are teams that have names like that, like Excelsior. That's one of my favourites. Well, if, you, if you're talking about nicknames, then yeah. uh, African Cup of Nations is usually the place to go. They, they usually That's just... True. You take take a bold adjective hmm. plus a rare bird. Yeah. You tend to I'm basically... <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised there's not been one of those Twitter memes like find your nation's yeah. <laughs> nickname. Do it, I'll do that immediately yeah. as soon as the show's yeah. finished. Okay, cool, excellent. The, right. the flying donkeys was always a flying donkeys. <laughs> yeah, that was good because it had yeah. its origins in a kind of a, a Verona jibe, wasn't it? Very much so. Yeah. yeah, donkeys will fly when uh, when Kiev will get into the top flight. Men and ladies of the Totally Football Show, why waste time going to the shop to buy overpriced quadruple bladed vibrating turbo razors and making the likes of Thierry Henry and Roger Federer even richer by doing so? Instead, head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and pick up a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades delivered right to your door for just £4. There are no gimmicks with Cornerstone, just a closer, smoother shave than ever before. And it doesn't just work on your face either. I used it on Jimbo's head before we started recording. Mmm. Head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally to see for yourself. And if you don't love your first Cornerstone shave, they'll give you your money back, no questions asked. Now let's get back to the football. Liverpool taking on Spurs this Sunday. We just mentioned Lucas Moura and Neymar being dissatisfied with his departure from Paris. Spurs, how excited, Michael? Simon was talking up Lucas Moura as basically a cheaper Coutinho. Does he go straight into the side? Whose position does he take? What's he going to do to Spurs? Are they going to win Anfield with him? It's a lot of questions. Um, I don't think he will go straight into the side um, because I think he will need time to acclimatise because I think Spurs are playing very well because I think this is a a, tie, uh, a game where Spurs will have a very specific game plan that maybe he won't particularly understand because he hasn't been with them. Um, I'd be surprised if Tottenham made many changes from the side that played at Manchester United, actually. Um, I know it's a quick turnaround. I know that they pressed a lot, but they just played so well and so cohesively. Mm. I think maybe at fullback you could see Rose and Aurier coming in if they're fit, but otherwise I think Pochettino will be telling his players to pretty much play in a similar way. I think the thing they have to be careful of is is the pace in behind from Mane and Salah because they do keep a very high line. That was effective against Manchester United, but I think Liverpool are better at working that situation in terms of getting those two wide players in behind. So right. I'm really looking forward to the game though. I think it will be yeah. potentially one of the games of the season. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they limited uh, Salah quite well in the last game because uh, what Pochettino did then was he played Serge Aurier, who usually plays right fullback on the left because he's a right footer. And Salah likes to come in from the right on his left. And uh, you know, Salah was still quite influential in that game, but nowhere near as influential as we see him in other ones. So it be interesting to see if Aurier is fit again mm. to perform that role for them. I don't think he was in the squad for the United game. I think he's still coming back from a, a calf injury. Um, but that was certainly one of the ways that Pochettino looked to neutralise that, uh, that Liverpool attack down that side. Yeah. I do know that Spurs have a very bad record under Pochettino away against the top six, but then they looked so very good on Wednesday. Liverpool, of course, looked good on Tuesday when they beat Huddersfield 3-0 away. I did. Could yeah. be goals in this one, do you think? I, I, I think, yeah, I think we've been very spoiled this season with, with games among the top six. They 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 always, I mean, these are hyped up and then they don't, don't tend to deliver, but this season they have. And I think right. Liverpool Spurs will be a Generally, when Man United haven't been involved, although Wednesday, of course, exception to but they But they can still contribute to the to the excitement um, like Phil Jones did. Yeah. That's true. That's but true. Firmino finish against Huddersfield was very uh, clever, yes. wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I think what you're getting in this game as well is you're getting two, each club playing the style that they most prefer to play against as well. So it does make itself for a really open, exciting game. Yeah. Well, let's hope so. I think Dembele could be a big player for Spurs, you know, against that press. 
Good to see him back to somewhere near his best um, in midweek. He's just so good at slaloming past opponents under pressure. And, you know, against a heavy pressing team, that's exactly what you need. Mm. 4.30 on Sunday, that game taking place at Anfield. Uh, the official Liverpool calendar. Don't know how many of you at home have this one. <laughs> but, uh, of course, it featured Coutinho as Mr January. And today you'll have turned over to Mr February. And look who it is. Daniel Sturridge. Planning. Emery Chan is Mr. March. And he is going to march off, isn't he? (laughs) That looks like it. It looks like it, yeah. The thing is, presumably they've structured that so that the player's most likely to leave in the summer and not before then, but then they left too early. Wouldn't you get them in early? Wouldn't you put them in your August, September and stuff so that they're there while they're still around and go with the kind of... The dependables later on. But the calendar starts in January, presumably, doesn't it? Does it? Oh, yeah. I, I think these things... <laughs> <laughs> if it were a football calendar, that's not really where it... Yeah. Also, I think these things are outsourced. I don't think, I don't think that the, the manufacturers true, are putting great deal of thought into it. Surely clubs put a lot of thought into that kind of thing, though, because fans pay a lot of attention. For example, when they do photos oh, in the yeah. summer the of the kit. new kit... Who is wearing them? That's uh, Coutinho was, for example. There was a huge interest in the fact that he was in a Liverpool kit. Yeah, it's definitely a, it's definitely a factor. I can't say I've had too much to do with any club calendars, but uh, <laughs> but certainly when you're talking about um, you know new kit coming out and shoots, you have to look at you know uh, there is a, a, a quiet conversation between the commercial department and the scouting department to say, okay, we're thinking about this one. Does this does this make sense? Right. Yeah. Well, it's very unfortunate then. Coutinho, Sturridge, now in Michan. All right. Football. Burnley host Man City in a clash of extremes. Adam, I put it to you. Burnley, the little team that could. City, the mega money financial. Right. Oh, yeah, I see, I see where you're going. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice dichotomy. But um, um, there are, there are, I guess there are two points here. Um, okay. Burnley, you say they're the team who couldn't. They, they could. They could. Oh, they're, well, they're the team that couldn't at the moment because um, they, they have stuttered a bit. Yeah. And. Um, and well, they're still sitting in seventh, which is perhaps a slight indictment on the soft belly of the Premier League. Mm. Um, you know, these teams can sort of you know string a winless run together and still stay where they are. Uh, the second point is, I do wonder if this is going to be the third part of the um, of the English football versus Pep trilogy. Ah, yeah, the horror tackles. Yeah, issue. I do. Yeah. I mean, Burnley aren't a particularly dirty side, but mm. um, but they are capable of some physicality. Let's put it that way. And so, I do wonder if it's the end of his tether uh, this weekend. Leroy Sane, who's they're now talking about eleven weeks out. Is that right, mm. for Leroy Sane after mm. uh, with Joe Bennett's challenge? He, he didn't look too injured at the time. It was a terrible challenge, but I didn't yeah. think it was that bad. You know, he was that badly injured. And uh, was it Diaz? Was it Diaz? It was Raheem Diaz knocked yeah. up in the air. Yeah, Matt Phillips. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was late in on in the, the West game. Brom game. But um, when De, just before De Bruyne scored, and uh-huh. he was careering through midfield in the way he he, he does so well. And uh, I think it was um, McLean. Uh, yeah, yeah, James, James McLean. McLean who came came out of nowhere to basically do what Joe Bennett had done at the weekend, or perhaps a little bit more uh, more safely, which was just to bring De, De Bruyne down and, and and stop this attack from happening. And uh, De Bruyne would not be stopped. No, he wouldn't be yeah. stopped because yeah. yeah, De Bruyne's got. Yeah, he carried on, swapped passes, smacked the ball home, and uh, just after that tackle went in, you could see the referee sort of trying to run past, saying, "You're you're in the book." And uh, De Bruyne celebrated and then had a little look round to say, "You're going to sort this out." And uh, yeah, so it, it, I I do understand Pep Guardiola's concerns, right? Um, but it's getting to the point where teams are running out of ways to stop Man City, especially when they're just running straight through them. And uh, fouls like that are inevitable. Okay, yeah. De Bruyne was sublime last night. Mm. I mean. I thought Ben Foster actually had a pretty good game, <laughs> even though they, they lost. It could have been a lot heavier than it was. And obviously, Laporte hit the ground running straight away. He Did seemed, he? Yeah. I mean, some of the his first pass was a sort of 50-yard diagonal. And uh, yeah. What, what position did he hit the ground running in? He was playing as a centre-back with Otamendi. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, I think it was a... It was it was a little bit surprising that you know he would be thrown in so quickly after I think Pep said he he trained for forty five minutes with them, and uh, yeah, he yeah. earned himself one of those very nice match of the day montages where they where they show him doing some very simple things, right? And then all dressed it up, put it all together, and said, oh, actually, yeah, he had a very accomplished debut. But yeah, it's always always quite handy to have one of those little montages. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the mm. problem with these fouls is we've we've become almost. We're in this situation where so many teams are good on the break and we're, we're so conditioned to this, oh, you've got to take one for the team, you've got to make tactical fouls, that I don't think any of these fouls are deliberately violent, but these players just suddenly get this 
they've got two seconds where they've got to take the yes. player out and it's leading to actually really bad tackles when I don't think they're being aggressive or violent they just it's a desperation out, yeah, it's, it's, not a tactical, it's not a tactical thing do it's you, just pure desperation do you think teams are, are much better on the break than they used to be then? Uh, well, I think the speed of the counterattacks over the last few years has increased massively. Yeah, okay. I, th- I think if you look at um, it's not the speed, it's the crash. <laughs> very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think there's also been a reaction that teams have tried to guard against counterattacks more. The way Chelsea fill the midfield, even when they have possession, and City do a similar thing. I think I think Leicester even now would find it a little more diff- uh, more difficult to win the title because I think teams are better organised at stopping those breaks. Right. City taking on Burnley. That's the early game on Saturday. Which game are you most interested in this weekend, Simon? Is there one that that leaps out at you? Yes, I think I'll be looking at um, you know Huddersfield. As we've talked about earlier, it's so tight um, between sort of eleventh uh, and and twentieth place down there. Mm. And um, <clears throat> teams like Huddersfield potentially going um, uh, extending their their run without points. It's, it's getting to a point where they need to build momentum and, and have something to fight around. Well, they're going to be at Old Trafford taking on Man United, so that'll be fun. Yeah, it's going to be. It's, it, it, the challenges Ooh, keep although coming. they've only had two wins in the last fourteen. I'm sorry to interrupt, but one of those was against Man United. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It's a different when you're going playing away at these at these games when uh, then playing at home and you've got that, that that fan base behind you. It was it's a really demanding effort to go and uh, keep up with the, the way that they play for ninety minutes against these top sides but uh, yes they need to to pull on something and and start getting some points on the board Absolutely Uh, Huddersfield are right now only one point above the drop as are as you mentioned Brighton one point clear of the bottom three they're hosting uh, David Moyes and West Ham and of course we'll be interested to see what kind of team David Moyes manages to come up with in between the various injuries and all the players who've left Tough game Should, Should West Ham fans be worried how far are they off? Only four points they're in good form, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, Moyes has done a pretty good job. I think the problem is the injuries to Arnautovic and um, Lanzini, and coupled with the departure of AU, I thought maybe they'd keep him in because of that mm. injury problem. So they are struggling a bit for options. The one thing I would say is that against Palace, I thought uh, João Mario was excellent. His, his movement, his first touch, you know, to be thrown into a London derby like that, um, having come from Italy, is not, not easy, but he was excellent. So maybe that's a bright spark for them. OK. West Brom? who picked up Daniel Sturridge and held on to Johnny Evans. So that's a good transfer window for the Baggies, no? Uh, they'll be hosting Saints, who are now in the bottom three. And uh, Newcastle are taking on Palace. Michael, you were very excited about Newcastle's business. Oh, did you also see the tremendous uh, display from the fans of the Gallagher end of the Kevin Keegan quote? Yeah, that was very nice. It was yes. nice. I, I couldn't recite it off the top of my head because no. it was quite long. It was quite long. 62 words. Is that right? Yep. How would you know that, Adam? Just read it. It stayed in my brain. Rain man. Rain. <laughs> uh, there were 62 words from Kevin Keegan about the fact that, you know, hold on for one more day, in the words, China Phillips. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, sadly, the lyrics to hold on. But it was from Kevin Keegan talking about how he is one man, you are a city, trust me, you know, we'll get our club back. Possibly facing them at Selhurst Park will be um, Palace's new striker. Sorloth. Ah. It sounds like a mythical figure Sorloth. from a book that I would definitely not read. Sorloth's shotgun. Six foot five. <laughs> Is he... That's incredible. Yeah. What did he say? Sorloth what? Shotgun. Oh, I see. see. <laughs> right. Sorloth. You're right. Okay. Anyway, he's from Micheland, don't mm. you know? Yeah, six foot five. Is there Norway? <laughs> oh, no. Newcastle ah, will win perfect. this one at the Sorloth's part. Go for an entertaining score draw. Really? Yeah. Okay. And can we f- can we finish off? I think we've touched on all the games with Leicester Swansea because obviously Swansea are now looking extra good, but Leicester have this whole Mares issue. Mares, who apparently spent Wednesday night in a Paris airport waiting for a deal that never materialised. A posher Odin Wingy is. Yeah, no, very up, much yeah. so. I, you know, is it, it maybe even worse sat in an airport in like mm. some kind of character in a Tom Hanks film? Or something. Yeah, at least in a car park you can drive away, or you know, but sat in an airport, what are you going to be doing? It's miserable. Well, it depends what lounge he's in. That's true. <laughs> anyway, so he, there are stories that he ref, he's threatened to never play for Leicester again if they didn't let the move go through. And people often say that you you know when a player asks for a transfer you have to acquiesce, but Leicester obviously took a different view. Do you think he can be reintegrated, Simon? 
I mean, this has happened with him before. I think in, um, Leicester in general have allowed their key players to go, but in the summer on their terms. I would imagine that that's the, the type of conversation that's happening or happened. So, yeah, you're hoping on that. I don't think it's in anyone's interest for players to salt for a period of time. You know, uh, certainly they want to get back on the pitch and doing what they're thinking and get people talking about how good they are. So that will be the type of uh, conversation that's the, that the management will be having with a player. All right. Well, let's hope it's successful. As for Man City, though, is it is it a little bit ridiculous that a club with the wealth of talent that they have still decide two days before the end of the market, you know what, we've got one or two injuries Gabriel Jesus not quite back yet. We're down to De Bruyne, Sterling, David Silva, and Bernardo Silva. Now we need to poach. Is it poach the right word, Adam? Swoop, swoop for for Riyad Mahrez. It would have been a swoop. I think it's a swoop. It would have been, it would have been a, a swoop. Textbook swoop. Yeah, I think with City, I mean, there's a couple of things. One, one, um, they want to win, and secondly, they want to win in a, in a particular way. So they're very, very focused on player type. Mahrez would fit that type. So I don't think, don't get caught into it. it's an emergency signing. I think it would be a long term uh, fit for the. For, it would, would it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Even with all the other other players, I mean, you surely have too many when they're all fit. That's what we we could talk about. Arsenal, we talk about how do we fit uh, these players into their system. Sanchez with with United teams are just looking to get better, and when good players become available in the market, then then, then they move. Yeah, still in four competitions as well. Well, so. I know, but like you got Bernardo Silva, it can be such a treat to watch, and he, he, he barely gets a run out. I don't really. think Pep wants to play a player like Bernardo Silva on the right. I know he has played there because yeah. he's got to rotate, but those positions really in Guardiola's system are, are wide forwards, not midfielders. You know, I think if you have someone like Silva, he's always coming deep towards play. He wants Sané and Sterling going in behind, and, and I think Mahrez can do that. OK. So, I mean, they did want Sanchez at the start of the window. It's not it's not like they only just decided they mm. wanted a forward, you know. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, that is very much the football. What about the odds, though? Well, let's get those now from Paddy Power with Ian McIntosh. Thanks, James. I'm here with Paddy Power. Paddy, we've, uh, we've got some bets here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, wonderfully. How are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Lots of new strikers at new clubs. And that always, always means debut goals, doesn't it? What can I get on an accumulator for Giroud, Sturridge and Aubameyang all to score this weekend? Well, do you know what? We were just talking about this before we came on air. And like the sun doesn't always shine on TV, but as Aha sang once famously. And also it doesn't always mean that they'll score a goal when they join a new club. But two of them are pretty short price. Giroud is only six to five to score in his debut. Uh, Aubameyang is uh, is odds on. He's four to five to score in his debut. But Sturridge is the one that he could be the one that lets you down. He's twelve to five. So uh, for the three of them, all three of them to score, it's greedy. It's ballsy enough. It's twelve to one. Interesting. Now something that is perhaps even more ballsy than that: Carrius keeping a clean sheet for Liverpool against Tottenham this weekend. It actually it actually it's sounds weird because big it, you, like logically you would think that there's more chance of the other three lads scoring than there is of Carrius keeping the <laughs> clean sheet. But the odds would suggest that it uh, it is is like about four times more likely that the that uh, that the Carrius would keep, would keep a clean sheet. So it's only nine to four that Carrius mm. keeps a clean sheet. Now, I'm not saying that I would ever suggest that one of the odds we offer is terrible value, but I would not be having a dirty penny on that. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, here's one that might be a little more likely. Um, I can't have been the only one to have raised my eyebrows when Swansea appointed Carvajal, um, but he, he's doing all right, isn't he? What can he get on Swansea to stay up now? Yeah, the best thing about Swansea is they're not doing what Liverpool do and having one good result and one bad result. They're actually just keeping it going. And Wow, they absolutely... like they were. They've been pretty impressive, like, and he's just, he obviously is the real deal. They were sunk to the bottom of the table. They were very, I think they were five or one to five or one to six to go down. And now they're 10 to 11, which means they're 10 to 11 to stay up as well. So it's a toss of a coin for Swansea now. And the fact that none of the other teams are kind of grabbing the, the nettle or grabbing the, the bull by the horns or any other cliche I can think of, that no one else is making a run for it. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's all played in Swansea's hands. I think they may, I wouldn't say they're safe yet, obviously, but... But they're going the right way and, and they're, they're ganders up and everything. I think they'll be okay. It's all getting a bit sticky in there. Uh, it usually gets sticky for teams in the last five minutes against Manchester City as well. They've got a good uh, record of scoring late goals. What can we get for City scoring in the 85th minute or later against Burnley? So I think the key to this is, now this, this may not be backed up by any fact whatsoever because I've done literally zero research into what I'm about to say. But I would suggest that if City are winning 4-0 or something, which is possible. I mean, they're playing they're playing away at Burnley. It's not going to be as easy as some matches they go to. But just say they were winning and the game was over and they're like 4-0 up. 
they maybe are less likely to score in the last minute than if it's 1-0 or 2-0 or something like that. And either the other team are still in with a chance of getting something out of it, so we're chasing it, or City are kind of a little bit desperate to get a goal. So how the game goes, it's, it's, it depends on that, uh, what the, uh, the chances of it happening are. But at the moment, before the game kicks off, I'd say you could have probably as short a price as you'd get about any team and about, I'd say, 3-1 to one or 7-2 to two from the score after the 85th minute. So not a huge price at all. You can find out these odds and more at paddypad.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. It's many, many thanks to Adam Hurry, to James Horncastle, Michael Cox and Simon Wilson for being with us today. What are you up to next, Simon? Back home to Manchester. All right, then. Excellent. And are you preparing for a grand re-entrance to the world of football soon? I do hope so. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking to a few people and, and, and also doing fun things like this as well. So getting, okay, get around the space, yeah. Well, anytime you want to pop by again, you're more than, more than welcome. It's rare that we get the chance to speak to actually people proper people, <laughs> proper football men. Yes. Uh, excellent. All right, we'll be back on Monday, everybody. Do hope you'll join us then. Uh, for now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Not nearly enough football league, though. Why don't you give the Totally Football League show a try? You'll find us on Audio Boom, iTunes, all the other places you get your podcasts.